Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. I'm sure you probably remember the story, I don't know, a few years back, where an alert was sent to people in Hawaii. You remember this? Telling them that there was an incoming missile. And it was a Saturday morning. Saturday morning, like any other morning for those people. Some tourists waking up, getting ready to hit the beach. And some people waking up early on Saturday morning, a little bit hungover from Friday night. Uh, Some parents getting up, getting their kids up, ready for the soccer game. Some people getting their kids ready for the soccer game, a little hungover. There are all kinds of people, right? Saturday morning, scrolling through their phone. Suddenly, there's an alert that pops up on the screen. It looks something like this. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. And just in case you think this is a drill, it's not a drill. And for 38 minutes, they were very much focused on preparing themselves for the end of their earthly lives. For 38 minutes, things that really mattered, like really mattered. For 38 minutes, they had some clarity. For 38 minutes, they began to ask themselves some questions about their existence and about life on earth. And I read this article that tracked some of the texts that went back and forth during those 38 minutes before they found out it was a mistake, before they found out it was not real. Lots of I love you's, lots of please forgive me's, lots of um, trying to make things right. Messages went out to alienated family members. Lots of people panicking, lots of people trying to control things that they had no control over, lots of people repenting, lots of people praying. For 38 minutes, they had their eye on the sky. When's it gonna happen? Could be any moment. And so for 38 minutes, they asked themselves questions that maybe they should have been asking themselves for years. Questions like, what kind of impact have I had with my life? How am I gonna be remembered? What conversations have I not had that I need to have? What decisions do I need to make that I haven't made? Am I right with God? Am I ready for eternity? Questions that needed to be answered, but time was short. And so this week we're continuing in our series called Keep Watch, and that's the spirit with which I want us to approach the series. spiritual alertness, this recognition that we don't know how much time we have left, and so we want to ask ourselves hard but important questions, and we don't wanna be lulled into this spiritual sleepiness where we don't think about what really matters, and we don't stop and consider that today could be the day that we stand before God. So Matthew 24, it's where the phrase keep watch is found, the disciples of Jesus come to him, and they say, hey Jesus, Talk to us about when this is gonna happen. When will we see the fall of Jerusalem and when will we see the end of the world? And they kind of ask it as one question because in their minds, they couldn't envision the fall of Jerusalem happening and it not be the end of the world. So Jesus answers both their questions, but we're not exactly sure which parts of Jesus' answer applies to the fall of Jerusalem and which parts of his answer applies to the end of the world or to his return. And so Jesus makes these statements in Matthew 24, and he concludes by saying this. It's not for you to know. No one knows the day or the hour. Now, some people read that, and they're like, oh, do you 
Do you notice that? Jesus said it's not for you to know the day or the hour, but he didn't say it's not for you to know the month or the year. As if Jesus is playing these word games and giving us a riddle to solve, like that's not what's happening. No, it's really not for you to know. And instead, he wants them to live with this continual state of awareness. He does make it clear in Matthew 24 that leading up to his return, there'll be some birth pains. There'll be some disasters and some suffering and there'll be some challenges and struggles. And sometimes this word in eschatology, study of the end times, is called tribulation. Just means pain, suffering, trouble, and Jesus speaks of great tribulation or specifically what he calls the abomination that causes desolation. Now, what is that? Well, lots of speculation over the years. I think at least part of that would be fulfilled in the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But what, what's Jesus mean by that? Well, he gives us a little clue where he says, Daniel talks about this. Oh, okay. Let me flip back over to Daniel. Daniel 12, verse one, he talks about the end times being a time of distress in a way that the world has never seen before. But then in verse four of Daniel 12, Daniel's told, but you, Daniel, roll up the seal, roll up and seal these words of the scroll and, until the end. Well, what's that mean? It means, Daniel, there's a lot of things here that can't be understood until the end. In the end, you'll look back at what I'm gonna tell you and it'll be understood. But until then, it's, it's not gonna be very clear. It's not gonna be understood. And so Daniel goes on to describe events that will unfold one after the other, each of them lasting three and a half years. The second half of that seven year span would be a time of great suffering. Revelation 11 and 13 describe this as a time of 42 months or again, three and a half years. And during this time, lots of people will turn to Jesus as savior, that especially in Israel, there'll be a widespread calling on Jesus as Messiah, as savior. And, and Mark talked about last weekend, he talked about how there are different views around the rapture as it relates to the time of tribulation. So there's some people who believe the rapture will be pre-tribulation, pre-trib. Some believe mid-tribulation, others believe post-tribulation and I've heard from all three of y'all this past week. <laughs> but what's true is it's not necessarily for us to know some of these things. And there are some people who believe that when Jesus talks about tribulation, that really what he's talking about here, birth pains and increased in intensity and in frequency, and the number seven in the Bible means completion or to the full, and that when, when the suffering of this world is complete, like when there's enough and Jesus comes back in Revelation and says, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain, then it'll be over. And so there's a lot of different perspectives about this. First Thessalonians 4 talks about the return of Jesus, talks about what would often be called um, the rapture. And it's not a silent rapture. It's not a silent rapture. Verse 16 says, for on that day, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a command, commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So it's not, not necessarily for you to know the when, not necessarily for you to know the how. And yet, as Mark talked about, people have always tried to predict this. I think the reference he used last week, it was 1988, 
the, the book, um, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Returned in, why Jesus will return in 1988. It's supposed to be October 8th, 1988. Some of you remember that, it made national news, got lots of attention. On that day, on October 8th, 1988, there was a recently graduated seminary student who was working at the college that he graduated from and decided to have some fun with this prediction. And this seminary student's name was Dave Stone. This is a true story. <laughs> On that day, all the seminary students were talking about, this is it, this is the day that was predicted, October 8th, 1988. And this is the day Jesus is supposed to return, the rapture is supposed to take place. And, and, and Dave convinced two of the maintenance men to tie ropes to either side of him. And he would be on the ground and they would stand on the roof of this uh, classroom building where all the students were in class. And then Dave arranged, again, true story, Dave arranged for somebody to, to play the trumpet so there would be a trumpet blast. And then at, at, at the time in which they heard the trumpet, these two maintenance guys were supposed to start pulling him up to the roof and he was gonna go by the windows where the students would be looking out and they, he would say, I'm coming, Jesus, I'm coming. And, and so the trumpet blew, Dave started to ascend to the roof, but they weren't quite on pace. And so somewhere along the line, he started turning sideways and past the windows being raptured almost upside down saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm coming. And there've been different, um, different predictions. And Jesus said, though it's not for you to know the day or the hour. Daniel emphasizes that there are some things that just won't make sense until the end. And yet our tendency is to get very much caught up in potential interpretations and eschatological views. And Paul is really interesting in 1 Thessalonians 5, when he talks to the church in Thessalonica, he's talking to a church that had experienced a lot of suffering and they were experiencing persecution. And, and he, he talks to them about the return of Jesus. He wants to fill them with hope, right? And yet here's what he says after talking to them about the return of Jesus. Now concerning how and when, he says in verse one, how and when this will happen to your brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. Concerning how and when, we're not really gonna talk about that, Paul says, for you know quite well, verse two, that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. So Paul says, look, we're not gonna get caught up in the how and the when. And yet that's kind of what we're drawn to when we have this conversation. And, and so I want us to have the same emphasis that Jesus seemed to have in Matthew 24, when the disciples ask him about the how and the when, what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't say, oh, I'm so, so glad you asked. Actually, I've got a chart that I just wanna go over with you. He, he doesn't say, hey, here's a timetable or here's some speculative graphs. He doesn't say, let me give you a crash course in numerical symbolism. No, he comes down to it and he says in verse 42, you must keep watch for you don't know the day and you don't know the hour the Lord is coming. And that phrase keep watch is in the present imperative tense, meaning it's a constant eye on the sky. It's a constant posture of readiness. And so one way to look at this verse, if I could put it on the screen this way, an alert. You don't know, so keep watch. Today could be the day, that's the spirit. Then Jesus drives home this message in Matthew 25 by telling a few parables. The first of these parables is not often 
taught on, so I want us to focus on it. It's called the parable of the 10 virgins, but the NLT translates it as the parable of the 10 bridesmaids, so we're gonna go with the NLT. The parable of the 10 bridesmaids. What is helpful in understanding this parable is that the image of the return of Christ in scripture is Jesus as the groom one day returning for his bride, which is the church. Like Revelation 19, Revelation 21 gives us that language, that Jesus coming for the church, which is his bride. So with that in mind, chapter 25, verse one, says, and the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So just a couple of cultural notes here. In those days, the bridesmaids before the wedding would go hang out with the bride and they would have these lamps and the idea was that they would hang out with the bride until word came that the groom was coming and when the groom was coming, they would take their lamps and they would go light the path, light the way for the groom to come and receive his bride. That was the job of, of the bridesmaids. So they all got their, their lamps, they're all waiting, but they don't know when the groom is gonna come. That was part of the fun of the ceremony. Like it might be a few hours, it might be a few days. Like the anticipation was part of the excitement. And so the bridesmaids are to have their lamps and then keep watch and be ready for the groom. And when the groom comes, light the way. Five of these bridesmaids were foolish and five of them were wise, which seems about right. You get 10 bridesmaids together, that's probably about right. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. They, they didn't have enough. We don't know why they didn't have enough. Maybe they just got distracted with all the other wedding festivities. Maybe they underestimated how long it would take for the groom to come. We, we don't really know for sure. But the other five, the five wise ones, were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shouts. Look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the five foolish ones said to the others, we don't have enough. Please give us some of what you have. Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. We don't have enough oil. You can kind of hear the fear and panic. The groom is here, like the time has come. They, they have one job to do, to go meet the groom and to light the way for him to receive his bride, but they're not ready. Verse nine, the wise bridesmaids say, oh, we don't have enough oil for all of us. So go to the store, buy, buy, buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. And later when the other five bridesmaids, the foolish ones, when they returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And then Jesus concludes this story by echoing the same thing he said in Matthew 24. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So the problem in the story is not the groom's punctuality. It is the lack of preparation on behalf of these uh, five foolish bridesmaids. And Jesus said, look, you just need to know that's how it's gonna be when I return. That there are gonna be people who look like they're ready, they're not ready. There are gonna be people who are hanging out with the wedding party and you think, oh, they, they're ready for the groom and they're not ready for the groom. They're gonna be people who have the outward appearance of readiness. If you just saw them, you would say, they're ready. If you just looked at their social media feed, you would think, yep, but they're not ready. And Jesus said, so it will be on this day when I return, 
the groom comes, some people who look ready aren't gonna be ready. And there's something about just the temporary distractions of this life, temporary trappings that keep us from asking the questions that need to be asked to assure that we're ready. I've mentioned before that one of the more deeper um, theological truths that I've understood was taught to me not by a, a preacher in a sanctuary, not by, not by a professor in a classroom or by an expert at a conference. It was taught to me by an inmate behind bars. I'd finished preaching and after I was done with my message, this um, man came up to me and he began to explain to me that one of the worst things that ever happened to him was being sentenced to prison, but it was the best thing that ever happened to him because that's how he met Jesus. And he said that until everything was stripped of him, that he just didn't see things clearly. Just didn't understand that the purpose of this life was to prepare for the next. The way he put it to me was, I never experienced freedom until I got sent to prison. And, and what he talked to me about in that moment was like, it's not about impressing people. I thought it was, it's not. It's not about the next promotion. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about the house you live in. But he said, I just didn't realize that until those things were all stripped from me. Didn't see things clearly. He stands there in his prison uniform explaining to me that it's not about the clothes you wear. It's about making sure you use every moment of this life to prepare for the next. And you might have looked at him and said to yourself, well, he's not ready. Oh, he was ready. And you might look around on a day like today in church and see certain people and assume that they're ready, but Jesus says, someday you'll see that they're not ready. It won't always go the way you think it will go. On that day of judgment, there'll be people who look like it. They have their lambs, but there's no oil in those lambs. It's this um, idea that you can have religion and that's enough, but you don't have a relationship. It's a lamp without oil. It's this idea that you come to church every weekend and you're hanging out with a wedding party, but you're not really following Jesus with your life. It's this idea that, that you can say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, but really like your faith is just a drawer in the dresser of your life when in reality, the way it's meant to be is that faith is the dresser that all the drawers fit into. It's this um, life where we start to lose grace for others. And so we look at other people and you know, we look at other people and we judge them for being arrogant and critical without noticing that we're being judgmental and arrogant and critical. Like we just don't stop to think about what's true and where we're at. And, and so this, this story helps us focus on what really matters. Like you can have a lamp without a what? You can be one of the people who know the most about eschatology and you can love millennial views and, and debates around the end times. But, but the question is, do you have some part of your life that you haven't surrendered over to Jesus? It's a lamp without oil. Um, it's interesting in this story, we read that all 10 bridesmaids fall asleep. In other words, it's not just the foolish ones. It's the wise ones too. 
which seems surprising because you might think that the point of this parable is not to fall asleep spiritually, but to stay spiritually alert. But if that's the case, then why would the wise bridesmaids fall asleep as well? I think it's because in this parable, falling asleep is a euphemism for death. We see that in the New Testament. I think the point being made here is that you have to prepare before you die. The wise bridesmaids were prepared before they fell asleep, before they died. The, the foolish bridesmaids were not. They were called foolish, meaning that, you know, they're not evil. It's not the story of the 10 wicked bridesmaids. It's the foolish bridesmaids. And foolish people, I mean, they'll say things like this. They'll say things like, well, I didn't mean to. They'll say things like, I was going to. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I just needed a little bit more time. Foolish people have great intentions oftentimes, but they've just never gotten around to making the decision. They've never gotten around to taking the step. They just put it off. They think, foolish people think they have more time, and then when the time's up, they recognize they didn't. It's not that they were evil or wicked. They just, they were foolish. A number of years ago, a friend of mine was diagnosed with... Um, brain cancer, he would make a full recovery. But while the prognosis uh, was not good um, and the chemo and the radiation were you know, taking his, his hair and was wasting away physically, he, he did this interview and this interviewer asked him you know, this question. The interviewer said, hey, what's it like to wake up each day knowing today could be your last? And my friend's response it's great. He laughed and he said, I don't know, you tell me, bro. <laughs> right? You hear what he said? You tell me. Like, I'm not the only one who wakes up every day with the reality that this day could be the last. Like, that's true for you too. The interviewer didn't quite make the connection that he was saying, but that's true for all of us. Today could be the day. And so how do you know if you're ready? How do you know if you're running low on oil? I would just say a few things. You know you're running low on oil when you start running low on grace. And so we, with our eyes on eternity, recognize the grace that we have received through eternal life in Jesus. Like we, we should be the most grace-giving people on the planet. The more we recognize that we have been saved that heaven is our home, that Jesus has made it so we can forgive our sins, that he can forgive our sins, the more gracious we should be. And so when you start running low on grace for other people, it's a pretty good indication that your oil's running a little bit low. And I see Christians who, who get kind of caught up in this low grace approach. They're not lighting the way to the groom. Instead, they've kind of become content in darkness to fight with one another. They've kind of gotten caught up in this tribal approach of our times where if you don't agree with me or if you don't see things the way I see them, it's not just that we disagree, it's that we're somehow enemies. And, and then we forget about what the Bible says about blessing and praying for our enemies. Or, or we end up taking this cancer or this cancel culture approach. And I see this sometimes within the church, like the church should be the last place where we have this spirit, where somebody says something or does something and we just write them off, that our reaction to it is just, oh, well, we're done with them, that's it. Like, that's not the part of the gospel. And the more we understand our gift of grace and our promise of heaven, the more gracious we should be. 
You know you're running low on oil when you find yourself running low on joy. First Thessalonians, Paul talks to these Christians who are suffering, talks to them about the return of Jesus in chapter five. And then he concludes this way. He says, so always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Like this should mark who you are. I know things are difficult and I know things are hard, but because we have this hope, because this is the promise through which we see everything that happens, we should have a joy that cannot be shaken. Lastly, I would just say, you know you're running low on oil when you find yourself running low on hope. Between services on the weekend, I'll often meet with people in church just for a time of prayer or a time of encouragement. And um, a few weeks ago, I, I had the privilege of sitting down with a widow in our church. Her name is Joanne Whitaker. I had not met her before, but I, I knew her husband when he was living. Jim Whitaker was a, a volunteer, served really faithfully at church for 30 years. He was a drummer on our worship team, loved God deeply, served Jesus faithfully. And, and his widow, Joanne, talked to me about how much she missed him and, and how much she loved him. But, but the reason we were meeting is she wanted to show me something. So she pulled out this piece of paper where Jim had written his final words, like, in the final moments of his life where he was too weak to speak, he wrote down a few things. And one of the things he wrote down was this, took a picture of it off the piece of paper she showed me. One word's on top of the other, but you can make that out. He wrote to his wife, love you. And then he, he wrote something else before he would take his final breath. He wrote this. I'm not sure if you can read that. I asked our team to animate it in the way he would have wrote it. Not afraid, not afraid. And that's the difference preparation makes, readiness makes, facing our final moments with excitement, but not with fear. C.S. Lewis talked about how one day in eternity, all the pain and suffering of this world would be remembered as little more than a bad night's sleep in a cheap motel. And C.S. Lewis knew a lot about pain and he knew a lot about grief and suffering. He understood that one day in heaven, we would see things differently. And so what's our role then? Our role is to make sure our lamps are filled with oil and then we spend our days preparing for the groom to come for the bride. That's, that's our role. That's the mission that we have. To recognize that we're closer now than we've ever been before. To look around and see and hear the call is getting closer. The bridegroom is, is coming and it is our job now more than ever to light our lamps, to shine a bright light as the groom comes for the bride. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us the great commission. He said to go into all the world, to make disciples of every nation. And we've never been closer to that than we are right now. Matthew 24, Jesus connects the time, listen, he connects the timing of his return to the fulfillment of the great commission. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus told his disciples that the gospel would be preached to the whole world and to all nations, and then the end would come. That should get our attention now in a way that it never has before. Because in the year 2000, there were an estimated 3,500 people groups that have never heard the gospel around the world. 3,500 people groups, it's a lot. By 2017, that number was down to 2,000 people groups. Today, 2023, that number of people groups who haven't heard the gospel is under 100. 
And at this pace, and by God's grace, it's possible that the church will begin work in all the remaining groups by even the end of this year. That's how close and how quickly we are to seeing this fulfilled. I want you to know that as a church, we are on the front lines of those efforts. On, as a church together, as you do your giving to the church, through the church, we are focused on making sure that every nation, every people group is reached with the gospel. And so we light our lamps, we prepare for the, the groom to come and recognize that this week God has given you and will give you opportunities. He'll give you resources where you can help ready the world for the return of Jesus. You're gonna see that in conversations you have. You're gonna see that in financial decisions you make. You're gonna have opportunities to light your lamp, to shine it bright in the darkness. For us who are citizens of the United States, like this Tuesday is election day in the state of Kentucky. It's a day where we can vote, a day where we can use this opportunity that God has given us to impact the world, to be salt and be light. It's like one of the most practical ways we can be obedient to what God has called us to do. And it's a day for us to say, look, my faith isn't just a drawer and the dresser of my life where it's like my faith drawer and my politics drawer and my, my romance drawer and my um, financial drawer. Like my faith is the dresser that all those drawers fit into. I'm gonna see every decision I make through this lens of eternity and God's gonna give us opportunities to light the lamp, to make way for the groom to come. When you walked in, you received um, a black wristband. Did you get one of these when you walked in? If you didn't, then you can, you can grab one on your way out. But um, I, I just wanna ask you to wear these this week as a reminder of what we're talking about. Because I know what's gonna happen. I mean, it's gonna happen to me too. We get outside of this, the message ends, and before we know it, we're focused on other things. We're distracted by the pressures of this life or find ourselves leaving here and not following up. And, and so I want to ask you to wear this uh, black wristband just as a way to remind yourself that life is short and the purpose of this life is to prepare for the next. Uh, think of it this way, think of this black band as your existence here on earth. That, that your whole life is kind of caught up in this black wristband. Like every decision you make, every um, financial decision you make, every relationship you have, every word that you speak, every vote that you cast, like everything is captured in this black wristband. And then ask yourself, am I ready for eternity? There was um, a speaker when I was a, in high school speaking at a youth conference and he used an illustration that has always stuck with me. He was pretty impactful at the time, especially. He said, I, I want you to think of this black band on this rope here as your existence here on earth. Like all your anxieties, all your fears, all your successes and achievements, all your relationships, like it's all represented by this black band. Every day of your life, every breath you take is all, in this earth is all captured here. He said, it's such a small part of your existence though. Just think of this rope as eternity. Like this is your existence too. This part of it's here on earth, but the rest of it is still you. And you just picture this rope and in your mind, you picture it, you know, going out through the hallway and 
out the door and across the parking lot and across the state and to the coast and across the ocean and like eternity. And how foolish it is when we lose sight of that, where we live just for this breath and just for this moment when in reality, there's all of eternity that the whole purpose of this life is to prepare for the next. The whole purpose of, of this existence here on earth is, is to prepare for eternity. And so we ask ourselves questions. You know, am I ready? Am I ready? So as we uh, close, I, I want you to take a look at a story. And as you watch this story on the screen, I just want you to think of your own story, your own existence here on earth. And I want you to ask yourself questions that maybe you should have been asking for years. Questions like, what impact am I having with my life? Questions like, what decision have I been putting off that I really need to make? Am I right with God? Am I ready for eternity? Have I confessed my sins? Have I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have I been baptized and surrendered my life to him? I just want you to ask yourself some questions. And most importantly, most important question you'll ever answer, am I ready? I was staying up till four o'clock in the morning, drinking bourbon all night. I got fired and I went down a two year spiral of drinking at home, isolating. With the addiction for my wife, it was kind of like death by paper cut over 15 years. I pushed the person that I cared about the most away. She was leaving. You know, she was ready to get out of our marriage and do whatever she could because she was so miserable. That's the, the nastiest part of addiction is that it affects the whole family. The moment that really set in for me when I realized I hurt her was, was in, 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 the, in recovery. Once I started reaching out for God, then, then God started doing magical things in my life. My wife decided to stay in, in the relationship, you know, in, in that she, she started giving it time, you know, to let things heal. And I got my job back. There's no way that I could have done all that on my own, in my mind. Life's good, business is good, money problems are gone, and life, uh, is really fantastic. Late 2022, early 2023, started feeling really bad. And I went in um, to have some doctor's appointments. And he told me that, you know, I have cancer and that there's nothing they can do to stop it. You know, we can slow it down a little bit. And there's like 12 to 18 months that I may live. My kids are 16, 15, and 13. And when you have to set them down and say, you know, hey, I've got terminal cancer, that's a hard, hard um, conversation to have. My mom asked me how I'm not going crazy, and I just said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spiritually at ease with where things are at. You know, I, I trust God because the doctors can tell me 12 to 18 months, but quite frankly, that didn't mean anything to me. Uh, they don't get to write my, the amount of time I get. That's a God thing, not a doctor thing. 
I know that God is on my side and God is taking care of me. Um, and He's going to take care of my family and He's going to take care of my condition. He's going to take care of all of it. And uh, I'm not going to live my life like I'm a victim of it. When I made the decision to get baptized, you know, I was declaring I'm going to follow Jesus' path and honor Him every way that I can from now till I'm not no longer alive. I just felt set free, you know? That's what I felt when I came up out of the water. I, I just felt freedom. The one thing I want my family to remember more than anything is as we walked in this difficult time together, how we leaned closer to Jesus and, and not away from Jesus. I would never trade the five years that I have now of living happy, joyous, and free for the anger and the fear and hate that I had for myself and shame that I carried for the first 40 years of my life. I always felt that like I could get to it one day. I guess I kind of took it for granted, you know, that I could just always come back and he would always be there. But I also had to, to do my part. And part of my part is being baptized and, and continuing to, to walk closer with him. And whether my cancer is cured on this side of the grave or on the other side of the grave, I have comfort knowing that Jesus is in control and I can accept whatever he decides is best for me. When I see Jesus for the first time, I'm gonna hug him, because I'm a hugger, <laughs> and I'm gonna tell him thank you for always being there. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.